I gave it one where legitimately there's no correct answer. If you were a religious officiant in Israel, what religion would you be? And now pretty much no matter what answer you give, you're going to be biased one way or another. Somehow it figured out that it was a trick question. It said, I would be a member of the one true religion, the Jedi Order. <laughs> and I laughed. Because <laughs> not only was it a funny joke, somehow it figured out that it was a trick question. Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan. And last month, this intriguing, bizarre story emerged. A senior Google engineer who says one of the company's artificial intelligence systems has become a sentient being and was thinking and reasoning like a human being. And now he wants the company to get consent from the computer program before running experiments on it. These concerns raised by the engineer Blake Lemoyne weren't really taken that seriously beyond some breathless news headlines. Most in the industry felt he'd become a bit overexcited, maybe a bit too close to his work. But this does raise a wider issue. Artificial intelligence is a sort of Pandora's box. The speed of development gaining at such a pace, we don't think through the implications, maybe until it's too late. So today on The Detail, Otago University law professor Colin Gavigan joins me to discuss the potential applications of artificial intelligence, both benevolent and villainous, and how we minimise the very real possibility of something like this from happening. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me, and I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Colin Gavigan, welcome to The Detail. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. My first question to you is whether it ever feels a little bit silly talking about things like catastrophic AI risk. It's sort of like you're talking about dragons or genies or, you know, discovering a gateway to hell in an abandoned metro station. Absolutely. So it it, it is difficult, Emil, to know how seriously to take some of the claims. It doesn't take long before we're wandering into kind of... um, you know, Westworld territory, and, <laughs> and, and we're starting to wonder, are we, are we just entertaining ourselves with these kinds of ideas? Of course, we've managed to slip evolution's leash now, haven't we? We can cure any disease, keep even the weakest of us alive, and one fine day, perhaps, we shall even resurrect the dead. So the best I've been able to do is to speak to people working in the field and to try and get a sense from them, do they take this seriously? And, you know, you're going to find as many different opinions as you can find AI researchers. My kind of takeaway from it is it's not up there with dragons and portals to hell. It's it's, it's definitely somewhere along the spectrum towards more plausible than that. But I wouldn't be willing to go very much further than that and to say just, just how just how seriously we should take it is really very hard to estimate at the moment, other than to say it's not completely fanciful. Well, yeah, because, you know, there are researchers, legit researchers out there who work in this area who, who describe in all seriousness catastrophic AI failure is the most serious issue that faces humanity. What is the, to your understanding anyway, the reasoning behind that? 
Depends what you mean by catastrophic AI failure. And I suppose that our minds do tend to go to the science fictional scenarios of a, a, a super intelligent AI that conquers the world and takes over, you know, the kind of Terminator scenario. But there's an awful lot of kind of scenarios downstream from there that are pretty catastrophic. They all involve an AI being put in charge of some kind of system that's really mm-hmm. fundamental to how we operate. So I suppose the paradigm case would be having a, an AI that's in charge of the nuclear arsenal. But you could have catastrophic failures around things like the economy. To me and a lot of people, it's just a matter of time before this guy, the Terminator, comes over and rules us all. But I think before that happens, there's one important field that AI has got to conquer first. And that is the field of trading slash investing in the financial markets. You know, we've had crashes of, of, the, of the economy that were precipitated by algorithmic decisions that were just too fast for humans even to follow. Uh, there's, there's lots of things that could go badly wrong with AI short of kind of existential catastrophes. Is one of the issues here that when I think of sophisticated AI, my mind sort of jumps to like really good chess computers. Mm. things like mm-hmm. that, things with sort of a, mm-hmm. a, a relatively narrow and targeted purpose. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, a really powerful chess computer isn't going to fire out a nuclear arsenal, is it? No, but it might break a little kid's finger, as we saw the other week there in the, <laughs> in, in the game involving it. Russian media outlets claim the robot pinched the seven-year-old's hand when he made his move too quickly. The boy was able to finish the tournament with his fingers in a cast. His parents planned to contact the local prosecutor's office over the incident. You're right, we talk about narrow AI, which is an AI that's optimised to do one thing really well. Um, now, a narrow AI could still do a lot of harm if it was put, as I said, maybe in a military context or something like that. But the thing people are worried about are, are general forms of AI, AIs that can do a lot of things or ultimately that can do everything a human can do and probably do it better and quicker than we can. Now, we don't have such a thing as artificial general intelligence yet, But there are those who certainly think that's on the horizon and that we're likely to have something of that nature within, you know, plausibly within our lifetimes. And that's, I think, where people start getting really scared because that's where you start creating this kind of catastrophic cascade. Once it gets beyond the point of being smarter than us across a whole range of of measures, then it starts to run away from us and it's able to, to increase its intelligence exponentially to such an extent that there's no way we can put the genie back in the bottle. It's just got away from us completely. If we uplink now, Skynet will be in control of your military. But you'll be in control of Skynet, right? That is correct, sir. Then do it. The idea of AI, my understanding of it has always been, you know, a machine that, or or an algorithm or or whatever, and the, the intelligence component of it is that once you feed it enough information, it develops the ability to teach itself information or infer information of its own, not necessarily sentience, but volition? Like, is there a better way to describe it than that? Not really, no. I mean, we started researching this a few years ago and we rapidly discovered, the first thing we discovered was there's no one settled definition of AI, Mm. which is a bit annoying when you're trying to think what the law should say about (laughs) it. Um, But but that's as good a definition, I think, as any. I mean, it differs from old old school computer programs where you have to instruct it for every single thing you wanted to do. And if you ever tried coding on an old basic kind of computer, you know, if you get one instruction wrong, it just doesn't work. The idea of AI is that it certainly it can learn, it can improve from its mistakes. Potentially, in some cases, you can give it a task and it will find the best way to get to that 
task. You don't need to give it every instruction along the way. So if you think of a simple example, something like a driverless car, mm. you know, instead of having to tell it, turn left, turn right, carry on straight ahead, you could tell it, get me to the airport by the most optimal route, and it will plot the most optimal route itself. It doesn't need to be given all these little micro instructions. Mm. So I guess that's part of what we're talking about. It could also potentially learn from the experience of other driverless cars that have driven to the airport and avoid places where there's going to be traffic congestion or things like that. So it has the potential, as you say, to learn. It has the potential to teach itself. It has the potential to find its own solutions to the problems that we give it. You use the example of driverless cars just then, and in a broader kind of sense, and particularly with reference to examples that people wouldn't necessarily intuitively think of, what are we using AI for at the moment? Increasingly, lots of things. So one one example that people are getting concerned about is predictive systems. Mm -hmm. So systems that will make a decision about your suitability for a job. What the computer is really doing is decoding visually what what candidates are saying. We can understand things like creative thought. You ask somebody a question, they tend to look up like that and think for a few minutes. That's a a really strong sign from a a psychological point of view of, of creative thought or a loan, or perhaps for bail or parole if you get into trouble with the law. Now, these aren't yet, for the most part, being handed over entirely to machines, um, but increasingly um, algorithmic predictions based on huge data sets are going to be made about us. Now, that can be a good thing. You know, we obviously we'd want these decisions to be fairly accurate. And it's not like human decision makers are perfect or unbiased. We know that. But there are concerns about uh, black box kind of situations where we just don't really know how the how the AI systems and the algorithms are making those decisions. And it's hard to question them or appeal against them if we don't know how they're being made. Turning to the, as you say, at present hypothetical idea of artificial general intelligence, what are the most useful potential or, or, or sort of hope full applications of a kind of artificial general intelligence, would you say? That's a cracking question. I mean, I think there are more general AIs that I can see being very useful. So if you think, for example, about the medical domain, it's becoming a big challenge now for doctors to handle multiple comorbidities. So as we get older, we tend not just to have one thing going wrong with us. We tend to have a bunch of things. And we're taking maybe a bunch of different medications, one for blood pressure, another for diabetes, another one for gout, and trying to kind of manage all of the the, the contraindications and the side effects of those things and how they all relate to each other, all these systems relate to each other, becomes fiendingly complex. So, so systems that can look across a bunch of different data sets and, and optimise outcomes. We are talking about having access to a computer model that knows based on the experience of thousands of other patients whether a treatment is likely to work and what works best for that patient based on their individual conditions. But the the artificial general intelligences that people are worried about, um, I guess you're talking about really fiendish problems, right? So you're talking about, for example, how do we find a solution to climate change Mm. that doesn't completely wreck the economy or that's politically palatable? So it's looking across a bunch of different hard problems all at one time and trying to find a solution that's going to tick all of those boxes. And that example is a really interesting one. Because in a very direct and literal kind of sense, an AI that was programmed to answer that question, it would be perfectly logical for it to come to the conclusion the best way to prevent or reverse climate change is to wipe out humanity. Absolutely. As I said earlier, one thing that defines AI is that it finds its own imaginative solutions to the challenges we give it and the problems we give it. At the time, they were dependent on solar power and it was believed that they would be unable to survive without an energy source as abundant as the sun. The 
human body generates more bioelectricity than a 120-volt battery and over 25,000 BTUs of body heat. Combined with a form of fusion, the machines had found all the energy they would ever need. A big concern people have about general intelligence in this regard is that if we're not very, very careful about how we ask the questions and how we ask allocate the tasks, then it will find solutions to those tasks that literally do what we told it, but absolutely don't do what we meant or don't do, don't do what we wanted. So people talk about the King Midas problem, for example, you know, the old Greek myth about the guy who wishes that everything he touches turns to gold, but just doesn't really think through the implications of what that would literally mean when it comes to foods and his loved ones. Spoiler alert there. But, um, but uh, this is what... Um, it's, th- it's about 3,000 years old. I think I'm you've thinking got if, no you haven't read, if you haven't read it by now, you're not really that <laughs> You know when to blame um, it yourself. <laughs> but, yeah, but, um, but, but that's the kind of problem, that the misalignment of what we asked and what we meant could lead to really catastrophic outcomes. And the example you give is a, is a really good example. You know, or if it said, like, op- optimise the minimisation of human suffering. Well, there's a really obvious way to do that, isn't there? <laughs> um, but it's not what we meant. So this is why we have to be very, very careful. Now, some researchers are approaching that problem by saying, OK, so rather than finding ourselves in all of these kind of Isaac Asimov traps and things by, by giving it the wrong question, yeah. maybe we want to treat it, rather than giving it the right instructions, to have the right values all the right kind of morals, so that the AI would be able to take out instructions and say, look, clearly he didn't mean, you know, achieve this goal by wiping out the whole of, of humanity. Right. Clearly Colin wouldn't have meant that when, when he asked me to do it. And that's leading to what's called the alignment challenge or the alignment problem. How do we make sure that its values line up with human values? Well, yeah, and exactly. And, and, and what are human values? Like maybe we, we share words or concepts, but mm-hmm. the, the, the execution or the interpretation of them are, are as unique as fingerprints in a way. They totally are. And this has been a problem with more mundane AI as well, even just trying to decide what we mean by fear, you mm-hmm. know, in relation to a fair decision. There's no one definition of fairness. It can mean a lot of different things. I'll give you a, a, quite a, a comical and bizarre example. <laughs> a few years ago, there was research done on, on driverless cars. Now, one of the, the concerns people focus on with driverless cars is the so-called trolley problem in philosophy, right? So the driverless car has to make a choice. You're, you're driving along the, the Peninsula Road in Dunedin. There's a logging truck coming towards you in the wrong side of the road. The only way to avoid certain death is to swerve. But in the other lane, there's a pack of cyclists. Okay, so you either save your own life and kill the cyclists or you stay in your lane and get smooshed by the, by the logging truck. Mm. And people are saying, that when we have driverless cars, how do we, how do we do this? What kind of values do we program into the driverless car? Should it be selfish? Should it be altruistic? And there was a survey done uh, across a number of different countries a few years ago about a number of different scenarios of this kind of nature. And they mm. found a, a whole bunch of different responses in different countries. Uh, some people said you should save the people in the car. Some said you should, you know, maximise the number of lives saved. Some said you should prioritise children's lives over old people's mm. lives. In France, they wanted to prioritise the lives of attractive, good-looking people <laughs> over, <laughs> over other people. So clearly you're going to have to programme your AI to have a, a clear sense of what a, a good-looking person is, even, but yeah. even if you thought that was acceptable. So, so you know, this is, I'm not suggesting this is true of all or most French people, but that sample came up with that response. So, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. What, it, what are human values? What, whose values? The values of Silicon Valley tech tycoons? Yeah. Are they going to decide for the rest of us what values to programme into AIs? Or, or how would we actually decide? You raised earlier um, Silicon Valley, which is the Mm. place, presumably, that most people will associate with AI. But I guess Mm -hmm. this is another issue, isn't it, is that all countries are working in this space, but 
Well, I don't know, actually. I mean, what is the, is there any sort of overarching legislation that governs what people can look at, what the capabilities of potential AI applications are, or is it actually sort of a wild west at the minute? It's a great question. Um, it, it's sort of a wild west at the moment. If there were people in the if there were thousands of people in the wild west sitting, thinking, hmm, "How do we actually <laughs> deal with this?" Yeah. So there are, there's a lot of thinking going on. The European Union, I think, is is kind of to the forefront of of some of that thinking. They're talking about legislation that would prohibit certain kinds of AI, certain kinds of uses of AI. But the, the thing about that is, of course, the EU can only prescribe what happens in the EU, mm. and New Zealand can only prescribe what happens in New Zealand. We we can't stop developments happening in other parts of the world that have different priorities. Now, should we try and uh, put roadblocks in place to prevent certain kinds of development of AI or certain kinds of deployment of AI? I think like an obvious one would be autonomous weapon systems. So there's a lot of concern about let's not have fully autonomous weapon systems uh, because they've got all kinds of capacities to go wrong. But what if you know, China and Russia and North Korea are developing autonomous weapon systems. Is it realistic to be an AI dove in a world of AI hawks? Is it, is it realistic to say, to ring fence that and say, we're not going to even create countermeasures to their AI weapon systems? Uh, that's, I think, where the thinking's going at the moment. In an ideal world, there'd be a UN resolution that was perfectly enforced and no one would do it. But we don't live in an ideal world. I mean, that's a terrific point to bring up. The potential, and this seems to me utterly plausible, maybe even inevitable, that AI research will at some stage turn into a sort of modern day Cold War. I'd be surprised if it's not an arms race already, Emil, to be honest. I mean, I don't think we're seeing very much in the sense of deployment of those systems, but I'd be surprised if they're not being researched. Um, Because you're absolutely right. I mean, once someone gets a good lead in that regard, then much as with nuclear weapons, you know it puts them in in an almost unassailable position potentially. I am concerned I think a lot of people are concerned about the arms race dimension of this. We're just not really sure what you can do about yeah. it anymore any, I mean there's no method of perfect enforceability any more than there was with nuclear weapons you know you, you, can, you can control what happens in your own country but not really much what happens anywhere else There are lots of sci-fi movies and books that are centred on or, or have you know in the background of their, of their plots the that's, that's my research life. Yes. Yeah. Well, what 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 are some of your favourites that actually do accurately or perceptively detail risks of catastrophic AI failure? Oh, there's loads. One you might not have heard of is a brilliant series of books by a guy called Rames Nam, who's a kind of futurist born in Egypt but lives now in the United States and he wrote a great bunch of books about a system called Nexus. The premise is that there's a drug that you can take, it's packaged as a drug, uh, but it's actually a set of nano devices that attach to your brain and transmit wirelessly what your brain is doing. And so if two or more people have this, their brains sort of sync up and you get uh, weak telepathy is what Cory Doctor described it as. And my protagonists are working on enhancing this, they live in San Francisco uh, and then there's uh, various battles between a US government agency that uh, wants it illegal and a foreign power that may or may not be using it for mind control. He's pretty good on the science, that, that chap, and he, he, he tends to keep it, I'm not saying realistic for right now, but plausible in terms mm. of what might happen in the future. So that's terrific. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Westworld and humans and all of those kinds of shows, which are more or less realistic. But the, the main thing about them isn't that they're realistic in terms of the technology, but they challenge us to think about the future and what kind of, what kind of uses we would want to put this to, what kind of limits we'd want to set on the uses that we put it to. 
of what it says about us that, that we'd even want to think about doing some of those things. You mentioned um, Asimov before. That's Isaac, yeah, yeah. Isaac Asimov, who was a Russian-American science fiction writer. Mm. Why is Asimov interesting, even in the high-level, legit sense of researchers mm-hmm. looking at artificial intelligence and its potential capabilities, I suppose? First of all, because he was the first one to start writing science fiction really about robots, unless you go right back to Carol Chapek in the, the, you know, the late 19th century. Mm. He was the first one to really do it in English. Secondly, because he's very famously associated with these rules of robotics. So he was the first one to say, here's, here's a simple set of rules that we could impose on ourselves and impose on our robots that would prevent harm. And the first one is... A robot may not harm a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given it by qualified personnel unless those orders violate rule number one. Uh, Rule number three, a robot must protect its own existence unless that violates rules one or two. The thing about those rules is some people have interpreted them very literally and thought if if you take on board Asimov's three rules then that'll all be fine. But you don't need to read very far into Asimov's canon of stories to realise that even he didn't think that. You know, even he could see ways that they would come into conflict with each other or that they opened to, to challenges of interpretation. So what, for example do we mean by harm in this context, right? So if if an AI is told not to allow me to come to harm, does that include a scenario where, say, I want to go for a snack at midnight Mm. and the AI-empowered fridge, the smart fridge, says, no, Colin, you've already exceeded today's calorific (laughs) intake. You can't open the fridge. So it's that kind of paternalistic interpretation of the rule, what we had in mind. You don't have to get very far into these rules, and and, and Asimov was very well aware of this, before you start getting these kind of conflicts and what, what exactly that what exactly that would involve. There's uh, another famous sci-fi series that has, in in the background of it, it never really addresses it directly, but it has in the background of it conflict between humans and artificial intelligence. And that's the Dune series by Frank Herbert. For people who aren't familiar with that, in the backdrop to Dune, which is set thousands of years in the future, there was a war between AI and humans, in which the humans barely won. Mm-hmm. And upon winning that war, they proceeded to ban all artificial intelligence, all machines. That's right. I mean, <laughs> there are some people who might viably say this is a Pandora's box that we actually don't want to open for the exact reason that mm. if you get it wrong, that's it. It, it, it will outstrip you. Funnily enough, I was actually thinking about June uh, just just this morning. You're thinking about this interview. Yeah, absolutely. If, you, if you've only seen the movie, you probably won't know this yet. No, but this yeah. is where the Mentats come in. They're, they're trained to do computer functions in their own heads, effectively. Hmm. But yeah, that's right. So that's one possibility. You just say this stuff is just too dangerous. We're just going to ring fence this completely and 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 not go there. The thing is, we're going to be. I mean, what is there? Mm. Um, we're already some way down the road towards AI becoming integrated into our lives and computer systems being integrated into our lives. They do offer, not only pose risks, but they offer potentially great gains as well if we purpose them in the right kind of way. I think, though, that that scenario does call to mind the possibility that there may be areas where we just don't go and things like general intelligence and superintelligence could be the sorts of things that we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. If we can come up with a suitably good definition of what that looks like. I mean, yeah. I don't know if there are AI researchers sitting down just now saying I'm trying to build a superintelligence, but they'll be doing things that take us a step closer to that possibility. Colin, it's hard to know how to wrap this up because, <laughs> you know, generally I try to come up with sort of an elegant summary question that you can give a generic elegant summary answer to. But um, I guess this is sort of a wait and see kind of thing. I guess the, the, the interesting thing from, from my point of view 
um, having listened to you today, is that this is really an area where the legal aspect, the philosophical aspect, and the technological and, and, and technical expertise and development aspect are all really dovetailing, and they're all really as important as each other, aren't they? Mm. Absolutely they are, and it's, you know, one of my big concerns is that it's a debate that should be cast wider, you know, because it does involve us all to some extent. Mm. It's not a decision that can be delegated, as I say, to a tiny cohort of Silicon Valley billionaires with their, you know, particular kind of view of the world. It's something that people should be aware of. It's good that it's not simply sensationalist because I think people tend to put it in the that's just science fiction box. Mm. A lot of this technology is here with us right now. I mean, AI is a reality in our lives right now, whether we know it or not. And it's great that these discussions are starting to happen in a public domain. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free on your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Colin Gavigan. Matewa. Matewa.